Welcome to C-Sessions. Our mission is to improve healthcare communication on both sides of the stethoscope. I've got two esteemed guests, Dr. Ginny Cruz, who is the medical director for the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance Network, administrative and medical director for the SCCA community sites, and a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Washington. Welcome, Ginny. Thank you, Randy. Along with Dr. Cruz, we have Andy Pete, who's the telehealth program manager at Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. Andy, this is kind of a new position for SCCA. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Thanks, Randy. I'm excited to be here. SCCA's telehealth program is is new like a lot of others, and I've actually been in my role since August 1st. Let's jump right in here with telehealth. And most people, I think, are at least familiar with the term, but probably a lot of people haven't actually experienced it personally. How is telehealth different than going in person? Yeah, Randy, that's a great place to start the conversation. And as you pointed out, the obvious difference is that the medical provider and the patient are in two different locations during a telehealth visit. But a lot of the other aspects of the visit can be very similar to an in-person visit. So there are certainly components of a visit that patients may be used to getting when they come in to see their oncology provider that can't be done via telehealth, like a physical examination. But there are a lot of other components of the visit that can be conducted through telehealth. For example, test result reviews can be done very easy virtually through telehealth. Consultations and conversations about symptom management or side effect management can be done through telehealth. A lot of our supportive services can also be conducted through telehealth, such as nutrition visits or social worker visits. We do a lot of survivorship visits this way as well, where patients are seen following their active treatment. So telehealth can be used in a lot of different scenarios that patients are typically used to coming in and seeing their provider in person for. One of the benefits, obviously, would be logistics, being able to call in versus having to drive into the city and find a place to park and get a ticket and all that kind of stuff, which I get all the time. That's got to be a positive aspect of doing the telehealth as well. One thing that stands out, especially for cancer patients, what happens if you have to deliver not the best news? Either their cancer has returned or a new diagnosis, something that's not really positive. I think you have to really look at the individual situations and the communication that you, you need to convey and determine really what is the best environment for that patient to be supported in to receive news, especially if there is a bad test result or there's been progression of their cancer or some other bad news that you need to share. And so sometimes those conversations are better delivered in person. There are certain circumstances, telemedicine or telehealth could be used if there's a very strong relationship between the provider and the patient where there's a lot of trust and maybe where a patient has enough support around them at home that they could be in an environment that could provide them comfort and support if they're receiving bad news. But I would say in the majority of situations that you're describing, we really would want to have that conversation in person. How does one go about setting up a telehealth visit? Your doctor's at the office and Do you instigate this from that side or does the patient instigate it by calling and talking to the nurse or the scheduler and say, I need to get an appointment with my doctor. And I realize that with the pandemic and everything that's going on, 
that's not an optimal thing for me to physically come in. We try to make it as easy as we can for patients. And so it may be at the suggestion of the physician when they see a patient in person say, you know, we could see you via telehealth next time. That might be a, a safer option or a more convenient option for you. But we also will let patients ask for that themselves. You can certainly advocate for yourself there and say, hey, is telehealth an option for me? It's medically appropriate in a lot of cases, but we will rely on our, on our providers to say yay or nay on that for uh, an individual patient. The patient and the provider have to have the proper equipment in order to do this. I've experienced it with my own parents. My mother was going through cancer. I can't even imagine her trying to figure that out on her own. The equipment to do telehealth is actually pretty minimal. We'll need something that can access the internet, camera, and a microphone. And all of that is rolled into the smartphone that's in a lot of people's hands. Probably our, our most common device. So any Android or Apple smartphone, you can download the Zoom app and boot it right up, click a link, and you're in. And you're in the, the exam room, the virtual exam room with your provider. If a smartphone is not the right option for this individual patient, a tablet like an iPad or Surface or Amazon Fire tablet, all of those are, are readily available. Those work in the, the same fashion or a, a PC or laptop with a microphone and a, a webcam uh, in there will work just fine. Anywhere that we can get a good visual and a good audio connection with the patient. Then I obviously have to ask, so I take it you're responsible for training that side of the communications. That's right. <laughs> I spent a lot of my time talking with providers and with patients and getting them the right equipment, actually connecting them. A big point of emphasis is what they will call the digital divide, right? It's folks who have access to these sorts of devices and broadband internet and folks who don't. And there's a number of programs and, and legislation right now that's going to expand access. So we've got a, a great little handy sheet that says, here are the low cost options for folks who are, are lower income and they can get connected with these devices and have access to the same quality care. Now they not only have to know all the basics of, of healthcare and clinical trials, but they also have to be a technical engineer as well. Right, Perfect. so you mentioned older populations. We really encourage family to get involved in this process. If a, a son or, or other family member can come in and teach them how to use it or have them use their device, that's a, an easy way to connect. So along these lines, is there somewhere either online or a call or something where the patients can go ahead of time and get information? Absolutely. We uh, really early on, Jenny and, and my predecessor, Sarah Schaefer, did a great job setting up resources for patients. So we have on our website, if you go to seattlecca.org, there's a telehealth section to that site, real real simple to find. And uh, it has a bunch of information, including a video that goes through how to set up Zoom, how to do a telehealth visit. Wow. It's, it's step-by-step by our patient education folks, a pretty outstanding resource. Wow, you're uh, ahead of the curve. That site also has an FAQ, a list of what devices are possible via for, for telehealth, and some more information on, uh, on how to get the most out of your virtual visit. I can't help but bring up this one touchy subject. What about privacy? Is it HIPAA compliant? Who has access to this? And do you run the risk of somebody hacking into this? Privacy is key, especially for somebody dealing with a cancer diagnosis. Yeah. And we take privacy incredibly seriously. The platform that we use is a special version of Zoom called Zoom for Healthcare. It has much higher security standards and is, is HIPAA compliant. So anything that's said and done over that is private. And we have each provider actually set up with a, a waiting room on their Zoom line. So they have a virtual exam room and a waiting room that prevents anybody from just popping in to that visit. There's also a case of if a family member wants to join in on that visit, they'll have to go through that waiting room too. And that, that patient will have to consent to that 
other individual entering their visit if they do want to have another person in. What's the difference in cost, if any? Do insurance companies pick up the tab on a telehealth the same way they would an in-person visit? It's a really timely question to ask about the cost in comparison of telehealth visits versus in-person visits because that has really been one of the historic barriers that has limited the use of of telehealth within medicine. But the good news in Washington state is that we've really been able to have a lot of support for telehealth and there's legislation in place that does help to provide telehealth at an equal payment so that providers are incentivized to offer this service to patients. Now the legislation in at the state level really is for Medicaid and for commercial payers. And so that uh, to date had not helped with our uh, payers such as Medicare, but with the arrival of COVID in the pandemic and then the subsequent public health emergency that was declared, CMS, which is the agency that regulates Medicare, relaxed some of their regulations around telehealth and they are reimbursing telehealth at a similar rate to in-person visits. Oh, excellent. And I'm sure that's good to hear on your end as well. You talked about the phone and then you talked about being able to download Zoom. Zoom obviously has the video aspect. Do you see a preference from both sides of having the visual aspect to this versus just the audio? There is an advantage to being able to see a patient as well as have a conversation with the patient. And you can pick up on clues that may not be available to you with just an audio connection. It's interesting, some of the work that we've done early on before COVID with telehealth at SCCA involved palliative care visits. And our palliative providers talked about how wonderful it was to see patients in their home environment because they could pick up on clues of how the patient was able to walk around at home and how much support they had at home. So it really does give you insight into a patient's life that you may not already have from traditional visits in person. We did a C-sessions a few weeks ago on the discussion around disparity in Hispanic, especially being treated differently, especially in rural America. What about having language barriers? If you've got a patient that doesn't speak English and Again, we've made that really easy for both our providers and for our patients. The the patient just needs to indicate, hey, I need an interpreter in this language. And within 30 seconds of the start of the visit, we can take a couple clicks and invite a live interpreter into that Zoom visit at the same time. We can do that right now for 35 languages, wow. the 35 most common languages, and, and it works really well, which is great. If I've got my spouse or my caregiver, et cetera, and let's say they're not physically with me in my location, are you able to bring them on the call at the same time so that it can be a three-way or a four-way? Yeah, it's encouraged. We want families and caregivers to be involved in every patient's cancer care. So all that we would need to do is just get the link to that other person. And I've got a number of, of folks who've connected with family in either down the street who are uh, not feeling well or not physically able to come in or folks who are far away and have a, a family care conference with your brother on the East Coast and have them deeply involved in the care in a way that they wouldn't be able to be if it were an in-person visit. I'd add to that too, Andy. One of the things that we've heard and seen is that this is an advantage to caregivers because say there's a son or a daughter of a patient who's working 
they don't have to take time off of work to come with that patient's right. appointment, right? So they can join virtually along with the patient and still be at work. I actually experienced this about six years ago. I had a very close friend who was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, and he was in rural America. He was being treated in South Dakota. He didn't like what he was hearing from his local oncologist, and he we talked. I reached out to my doctor at SCCA, Dr. Renato Martins, to say, you know, I've got this friend, he doesn't have the means to come out here, but would you be able to look at his charts and just give some advice? And he agreed. Matt sent all of his records over electronically. Renato looked them over, said, you know what, you are a prime candidate for a recent clinical trial that just came down the pike. Got on the phone, talked to his oncologist. She concurred. He got on that, and Matt got five really good years extra on his life. Unfortunately, we lost him last year. That was my first experience with it. So the reason I share that story is because there's a quote-unquote second opinion. And so if you don't physically have the means to come to an academia cancer center, or you're being treated in community healthcare center, something along those lines, and you need that expertise, are you seeing more and more of this? Yeah, it definitely makes up a component of the services that we offer, and it certainly lends itself really well to telehealth. Traditionally, one of the barriers to rendering second opinions directly to the patient that way has been the licensure issue across states. But Andy's been a huge help in helping us to navigate across the state lines with some of the rural relaxations that have happened in response to COVID. So he can probably share a little bit about how many patients we've seen from out of state. Sure. So th- there is a significant chunk of folks who are coming in from out of out of Washington. Um, and we've actually seen patients across 44 different states thus well, far in 2020. It, it's amazing to be able to offer that. And we've seen some very, very positive comments back from folks who have rarer diseases. So I'm thinking specifically of, of Dr. Paul Neum, who is uh, in our skin oncology group um, and specializes in Merkel cell carcinoma. And that's a, that's a very It's a rare form of dermatological cancer. And he sees patients in a shotgun across the United States. Uh, And it's it's exciting to see those patients. And I read a number of his his notes there and they're all thrilled that they can see this specialist right in their home. And that's a huge advantage of telehealth. Give us some statistics. I mean, how, how much is this growing this year versus last year? The rules changed, so keep in mind uh, there's a, there's a lot of different uh, different rules at play at the moment. But we did 30 visits last year via video. We just passed 20,000 this year. 30, 30 versus 20,000. That's kind of a growth pattern, I would say. You guys are highly highly regulated. So when you talk about these regulations and whatnot, what has relaxed? Give us just a kind of a snippet. So most of the relaxation has been around where patients can be to receive telehealth services because previously patients had to be in an underserved area and they had to be located within a health facility in that underserved area. But with the public health emergency due to COVID, CMS released a waiver that said patients can be at home and they can be at any setting. So that's helped an enormous amount in offering telehealth to more patients. From a patient's perspective, I've seen this as extremely positive. If somebody is just newly diagnosed or obviously if they've got to go in and get an infusion or have some physical aspect of their treatment done, that's not going to work. But if it's just 
being able to get a checkup or be able to be on the phone and, and converse with your providing team, this is huge in my opinion. Is there anything that we have left out here that you'd like to cover? I think it's been very comprehensive, Randy, and appreciate the opportunity to come on and, and share the SCCA experience. Do you think that telehealth is here to stay? Yeah. After COVID goes away, we intend to continue to offer this as a service to our patients? I won't mind not having to come in. I'm on an annual visit these days, and I kind of got a feeling my doctor might still want to see me. That's going to wrap us all up. I want to thank Dr. Jenny Cruz and Andy Pete of the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance for being with us here today. This has been extremely informative to me and you both did an excellent job of getting this information succinctly told and hopefully the word will get out and people will be able to use this as a means to better health. Thank you so much.